good afternoon, good evening, everyone. This is Endurance Chat. Hello and welcome. Uh, this is Cookie Monster FL. Uh, joined here with by Chris Washer 97. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing very well. How about you? Doing well, doing well. Um, we're here to talk about uh, the Rogues 24 that just happened, uh, aren't we, Chris? Uh, it was pretty uh, unique, I'd say. Um, uh, and really just... Um, I would say a really good end to the DPI era in terms of that 24 hour race specifically, or our marquee event for the, uh, IMSA calendar. Um, and then a great start to GTD pro. So, uh, lots to talk about with this race specifically. So let's get into it. This episode of endurance chat is brought to you by the racing line. The racing line is a motorsport calendar and notification app for iPhone and iPad. It includes all major series, with more being added all the time, giving you a daily and weekly list of races so you can easily see what's coming up. All events are converted to your local time zone, so you no longer have to faff around adding or taking away hours to work out start times. Finally, it also lets you customize notifications for events, so you can choose when you're notified about a certain race series. The app is available on the iOS App Store, coming soon to Android. Just search for The Racing Line. Find out more at www.theracingline.app. I mean, it was a pretty good race. I mean, it had some, I think it had some low moments towards um, after the 12 hour mark, but it, we still had, you know, incidents, cars stopped on track, you know, that had the full course yellows that made it a little bit spicy towards the end. Uh, but it seemed like throughout the majority of the race, there was always a class lead being fought for. It was, it was always under a second. Uh, yeah, that's a, a great point. And another thing, too, to note with that's, I would say, similar in that vein is how many different uh, entries ended up leading their cl- respective class through at some point throughout the race. Um, and while you had attrition, reliability, uh, weather effects, some entries, um, you saw so many different entries actually lead their respective classes, which I think really speaks to the just... Um, the level of disparity between just the worst and the best, uh, you know, team, which is just nothing at this point right now that you can see, um, which is incredible to say for a 24 hour race. Granted, you know, all this is with an asterisk with the uh, uh, with the wave rounds, but still, um, you know, really impressive, uh, just the level of professionalism and competition that we saw in this race. Um, but we kind of knew that going in, didn't we? Uh, with the pre uh, kind of our pre race shows, we were talking about that, too, just. But there were so many good drivers that were even in levels that you're like, that's an am area, but that's still a solid driver. Yeah, and most of them either A, raced at Daytona before in some form or fashion, raced in, you know, Grand Am or American Le Mans series, or, you know, raced before at bigger tracks. Um, even some of the open wheel guys, you know, they raced, you know, at Formula One grade tracks tracks so it's not like they're they go to daytona and you know they're like oh no what do i do it's <laughs> it's this they, they have some experience under their belt and i think apart from the lmp3 sometimes you know being the meme that they were um yep. it, everybody seemed to keep it on track yeah and i think the cold temperatures had a lot to do with that as well uh, my favorite i think um incident throughout the entire 24 was just like uh, it was like sometime during the night and they were looking at like a Porsche that had maybe had spun or had gone slow or, or something like that. And uh, 
LMP3 and it's after the bus stop. LMP3 just comes out of the bus stop and it's in the marbles on the right side and just somehow loops it. Like I, I get at corn, maybe like coming off the corner of the bus stop and heading out of that, like just that transition and bumps, you can, you can throw the car, but he was so far past the bus stop and it, like on the, on the NASCAR part of the track. And he still spun and almost hit this Porsche. And I was like, oh, my God. Like these LPTs are trying desperately to be a prototype challenge uh, that, we, that we've seen in the past. But <laughs> not any, like, crazy incidents that involve them with other classes. They just seem to just yeet themselves off into tire barriers for the most part. Um, and, and the LMP2s seem yeah. to have the more, like, devastating problems, you know, it seemed like. Which was interesting to me. So I, I didn't, I didn't foresee that. I thought LMP2 was going to be a little more mild manner than it ended up being, or at least with some of the cars. Well, it helps that I believe we had a bigger grid for them um, this year than last year. And then uh, on the LMP2 front, it, what amazes me is how, like, because obviously in IMSA we do have um, the caution procedure where people who are a lap down can get their lap back, like you know. Like NASCAR, you know, lucky dog. The 81 Dragon Speed car, if you remember, he, he, they had a barrage of penalties, like, right off the get-go. And then they end up winning the race. So LMP2, with all the chaos, that somehow, somehow happened. Yeah, and what was crazy uh, as well is that you saw some, a lot of those cars that were in, impacted early on because of this unique rules of the Rolex 24 meant that you would see those cars come back out on the track or at least like continue logging laps to try to finish the 24, even if they're not in contention. Um, and you saw more spins and more issues kind of that, um, <clears throat> you know, had, had more of a cause and effect with the field outside of, you know, than no, you know, nothing, but it, it still is interesting to see, cars that were involved in wrecks that were in the first hour still circulating and spinning out like 13 hours in. Um, and they looked brand new. So that was interesting. Um, but definitely I, I think what is going to be talked about the most is going to be how cold it was. Um, and obviously just for the fans and driver, everybody pit crews, you know, whatnot, but um, just how cold the track was and how unique that condition was where you, you um, you heard drivers say it was going to be three to five laps potentially before the tires would fully come to temperature. Um, uh, otherwise, like they would treat it like it was wet condition and they would just act like it was like in like they were racing with full wets, which is like a crazy observation. And I've never heard that ever uttered from race car drivers before just how cold the track temperature was, which really hampered and hamstrung a lot of the drivers and the teams for just how they could get utilize the cars in the first five laps which is crazy to me like usually it's one to two laps to warm these tires up but it took that long and and the temperature almost did i don't believe it but i don't believe it actually reached freezing point there i haven't i tried to keep track of the temperature bob pretty intensely but i don't think it reached freezing point it went below freezing point i was kind of you know rooting for that back home i guess so that not not sure you guys were rooting for it at the track but because i want to see what the effects were going to be and we got close to freezing point and obviously the track did get pretty cold but but it i i don't think it had i just i don't think it had the, the bigger effect that i thought it would have have that was poor grammar but you 
get what I mean. Yeah. Because <laughs> wasn't it like a few years ago, the last couple of years um, of uh, Continental's life in this championship, where the track was getting a little bit colder and everybody had problems? Well, compared to this year, Michelin, who we all know is a very good tire constructor, you know, it, it didn't seem that we didn't we had that many issues compared to the days of Continental. No, there there was tire punctures, but I would also say some of that could have been the curbing and just the amount of close contact and and like you know probably there was some rubbing somewhere, but it wasn't you know that crazy. But because every, there's places at that uh, at the track, especially when we have sixty cars, and that was a huge part of it too. Just the 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 size of the grid and just the quality of the drivers and the cars you know, lent to a lot of like traffic jams and natural traffic jams where it was just like you had GT cars two, two by two in the infield section with LMPs just trying to get around and having to wait for almost like three to four corners. And some of those are really tight where you can't stick it three wide. And you just saw a lot of that happening. And I mean, even early on, you had LMP2s offing it because of just, um, you know, how off the racing line they had to go just to overtake cars and completely miss their breaking point, um, lock it up and hit the wall. So, um, yeah, I, and the, cra- the crazy amount of spins. And I also think too, that it was, it really showed off some unique driver talents. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit too, with, with certain individuals, but, um, you could, it, it was really interesting. It all, it almost felt like it was a completely different weather condition in itself, which I guess it was, but, you know, you don't ever think of just near freezing or freezing conditions like that having such an effect on the overall race as it did with certain drivers' um, ability to kind of keep pace. So, um, yeah, and I, I think also, and I guess lastly, just for our general observations of this, like new machinery too, right? So we have GTD Pro, I guess to a certain extent it's the same stuff, but it's a new class, new concept. And then also sunsetting of uh, of DPI as well with this. Uh, with this. So... I think that that was um, sort of unique too, where there was extra importance on both of those classes to perform well this year. And uh, you definitely saw it from teams in both of those pro classes. And you mentioned GTD, the pro class, and it being switched from, obviously from GT Le Mans, where it was GTE machinery, to now it's just pure GT3, all pro lineups. Uh, unless you're uh, unless you're weather tech, <coughs> um, <laughs> it's it's interesting what it did because people, ex- I think, including me, with you know, because we're so used to if there's two GT classes, they're not going to be BOP'd exactly the same. Uh, that's what IMSA didn't do. They BOP these classes exact, pretty much the same. They treated GTD as just one class in terms of BOP is is uh, involved. It was, it was interesting because obviously um, throughout the qualifying race and towards the beginning of the uh, Rolex 24, we saw interclass battles that were really good. Even though I believe the McLaren, the crucial Mercedes McLaren was in the thick of it. Yep. Um, but then obviously as the race went on, as G- the GTD cars went to their more amateur drivers, and GTD Pro, obviously all pro lineup. They, you know, they stretched their legs a bit. And you very and you, in, the, in the lap time, you saw a clear difference in the classes in the class structure. Um, they spread their, spread it apart a little bit. So I think, I think, 
I think I like that move from Imsa. I, I think it, it was fun watching the two classes intermix each intermix and battle with each other. I just, uh, I just don't know how to feel about it for the short races though. Like I, 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 I won't oppose maybe like towards the shorter races, like having a class split, like mm-hmm. having the GTD Pro cars start in front of the GTD cars. Yeah. Yep. But on the other hand, it's on. Well, let me rephrase this. If let's say qualifying is like canceled, or qualifying is you know interrupted, weather, etc., then I think the then I think it should be split. Here's the GTD Pro cars, and here's the GTD cars. If it's a regular qualifying session, I I think I don't mind if it be, being mixed. Because if you're that bad in qualifying, then too bad. You should be at your GTD Pro car. You should be, you know, faster than these GTD guys. Uh, absolutely. I, I think if I had the ability to do any changes like that, it would probably be to, you know, and, th- and again, experimental. But maybe do GTD Pro and um, <clears throat> LMP2 and DPI and have those guys start as like a pro category thing in quotes. And yeah, like the LMP2s might be a little bit annoying, but they're definitely going to be faster than just GTD um, and then GTD Pro in general. So you'd actually have a gap there. GTD Pro would kind of have, they'd have some annoyance with some slower LMP2s potentially, but outside of that, you would be free and clear of LMP3s and then GTD. And then you'd have those guys start as a staggered start behind them or something like that if you had all five classes do something like that. Like, it's like an AM start. Anybody like, like split start. I mean, like having the GTD uh, guys start like exactly behind the GTD pro cars, not like have a separate oh, yeah. split just yeah. for them. Yeah. Oh, well, you could do both either. I, I mean, but yeah, yeah, I think some separation for that should be there just to just to give like a natural difficult barrier for GTD uh, AM. You know, the pro drivers in those AM cars uh, some difficulty, so they just naturally can't really get up there and run. Especially yeah, because two hours forty minutes. That's kind of enough time to do a um, uh, a core autosport move with their LMP2 by, you know, um, having their AM in for only 15 minutes or something like that. And then still being there in the end and winning overall, which is great. But um, we've seen IMSA not uh, like that <laughs> result. So I think something like that should go should happen, hopefully, in the two hour 40 minute races. And it shouldn't be a. A performance difference that would just be annoying and an extra um difficulty that you don't need i think right now especially when you're juggling all these extra different variables in the next few years but yeah so i think now we can get into the the specific classes um and and go through that i'll go uh, I think I'll go over kind of just some of my observations of the track as we talk about these classes and at the end maybe give some more but um, it was a interesting experience um, going to the Rolex 24. Um, it's definitely, I would say, as a narrative for my own um, personal trips in the last like five years, uh, Rolex 24 is tough. It is, weather-wise, it is not fan-friendly, <laughs> at least the years that I've been going. Um, there, I think there's been maybe one year where it's been like a, like a decent temperature and it's been enjoyable. Um, and unfortunately that that's the year that I was in an RV. So I got, I really didn't get to utilize good, good, uh, trackside conditions, but, 
Um, that, was, yeah. that was the year I went, wasn't it? Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and I, I really enjoyed that one. And yeah, you, you lucked out because it has been brutally cold or really wet or combination of both um, for like the last five years outside of that one. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was great to actually camp, uh, camp out campsite. Uh, we were in NASCAR turn three and, um, and yeah, it was, it was really enjoyable when we weren't trying to, um, you know, get frostbite. So, but, uh, R slash WEC Sebring more <laughs> in, insider information. Was, 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 was John there? He's always a hoot. Uh, yeah, John, John was there as always. He's got the, uh, the blue lights up, um, uh, naturally, uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, they, they were there like Wednesday. They like let people in Wednesday evening, which is really rare. Um, we ended up getting a bunch of, uh, IMSA stickers, uh, because apparently they're not letting Daytona or Daytona's not letting IMSA like hand out some of those IMSA stickers as they usually do for the track. Um, and so they were, they were like, okay, well, I guess we can't hand these out. So, uh, buddy of mine like came by with a, like a box of a decent amount of them. So we were handing a bunch of them out to like just random strangers throughout the weekend, which is kind of fun. Um, and yeah, just, uh, we kind of had like a, yeah, it looked like a, a refugee tent campsite going on. Just a bunch <laughs> of easy ups in my, my carport. Uh, we had like, we had, we had, uh, I think Thursday night was gusty winds or Friday night, uh, up to like almost 45, 50 miles an hour gusts. So about half the campsite was like, looked like it was destroyed. I was like having to pull stuff down for about like four hours that night. Um, so I didn't get much sleep, but, uh, but everything managed to, to, to come back home in one piece and didn't throw anything out that that uh that was broken um so that was good but yeah we'll maybe we'll talk a little more about it uh, at the end but it was um yeah it was it was a unique and remarkable uh race to attend in person just from how uniquely cold it was <laughs> and uh and uh and yeah you definitely like needed a couple of days to get rid of the the like sunburn and wind like the free the, the, like the wind burn that you get when it's cold out uh, it was just uh yeah you felt like you were you were like on the brink of death at the end of that coming home. So yeah, it was, <laughs> and, but it was great. And at least, at least for Daytona and Sebring, we, we have befriended a, uh, actual IMSA official and he does like to hand out free stuff. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shout out to you, my friend. Thank you, sir. I gave, I gave away some, uh, subreddit stickers to him and some other stuff as well for, uh, uh, this time. So he's got, he's got some extra stuff and I'm like, I mean, I keep it coming, but I like, I'm just floored at his generosity. So uh, I appreciate it, <laughs> but yeah, uh, DPI. So, um, this is the final year for DPI as we all know. Um, and if you don't know, wow, what a rock you lived under LMDH is coming next year. Uh, we got the announcement this, or, uh, well, it will be last week, uh, with GTP being the category name. So the cars are still going to be called LMDH. But the category the uh, in, they compete in an IMSA will be called GTP. Is that correct, Chris? Yeah. Okay. And the easiest explanation, obviously, IMSA, GTP, and then, you know, WACO, European stuff is going to be the LMDH or Hypercar. It's sort of like back like, in the 80s. You or know, like Group, group H. GTP, you know? They should just name it Group H. Just do it. I mean, if if they already did this stupid, like, well, we're going to name a corner after each other. So now we have a D Daytona chicane, which is the first chicane at Lasard. <laughs> and cool. now we have, instead of the bus stop, it's going to be the Lamar chicane at Daytona. They should just name it Group H and be, and be done with it. Like, if they're going to go GTP, then you do Group H. Because you wouldn't do Group C. That's its own thing. You just make it Group Hypercars. That would work. Ooh. 
I'm that's what I'm saying. Wouldn't that be great? What you know, you could even go group hybrid, but that's kind of lame. Group hypercars. And then just play that. I bet you know what? I bet you they're gonna do that. It's like the easiest win that they could possibly do. Because right now it's called the Lama Hypercar category featuring Lama Hypercars. And it's like, why are you gonna do that? Just just name it. Just name it like Group H or something. Name it something different like they did with IMSA. Anyway, so GTP is coming next year. Um, and so, yeah, this is, I would say, a, a decent go to try to win this last uh, DPI race for this category, which started in 2017. Um, so, and what a run it's been. We'll talk about that probably at the end. But, uh, yeah, I think I went with Cadillac. My pre-race pick was Cadillac. What did you go with, Chris? Did you go with an Acura or did you go with Cadillac? Uh, I, I went with Cadillac too. Um, I, th- I, I thought Chip Ganassi was going to win it until, uh, they, they, they had problems. Um, just a shame. I was kind of hoping for FWEC stamp points uh, per se, mm-hmm. but uh, I believe, uh, uh, wasn't, it was Meyer Shank that came out on top. I almost forgot the wonder for a second. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The number 60, uh, Acura. Yeah. Cash and that was a second Rolex win. Yep. After winning with Wayne Taylor last year. Um and obviously, you know, the awesomest moment was seeing everybody climb the fence. That was so cool. Yep. Because he gets he gets to do it at in within the same three hundred and sixty five days, Elio Cashnevis gets to climb the fence at Indianapolis and Daytona. Has that I don't think that's ever been done before. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think so. I, I, I'm. It might. I don't know if it's been done like Indy first in Daytona. I don't know if anybody's gone Daytona Indy. That would probably only be like Mario that might have done it. But that was Mario was doing Indy before he started really getting into sports cars. So, or at least in the at Daytona levels. So I think his Indy win was before Daytona started doing twenty four hour races. Anyway, but yeah, I don't. I, I think you're right on that. And yeah, what there were a lot of announcers. I think NBC was talking about it a bit, and obviously um, the international feed, IMSA Radio, they were talking about that too. Just for like what a transformation Cash Nevis has gone through ever since he basically stepped down from mm. that full time Penske drive and in, uh, Indy and started driving for uh, Acura in in prototype racing, and how much that it's kind of just. Re reinvigorated him, um, and especially that relationship with Meyer Shank, um, or Michael Shank, really. But that team um, has benefited both parties. I mean, you know, I, I, I really expected at this point, or hoped, hoped at this point, Meyer Shank, Michael Shank would be getting to this point where they're winning Rolex 24s and you know, and Indianapolis 500s in the same calendar year. But honestly, I didn't, I, I, you know, they're a private team a privateer team to a certain degree from a factory standpoint and helio being kind of on the uh downside of his career i didn't really expect this but it's really shocking and really uh and really cool to watch Mm. but yeah great teammates too so that doesn't that doesn't hurt (laughs) right um tom blomquist oliver jarvis and i can't remember the fourth one he had uh pagano Pagano, that was yeah. that was right. It was it was all right. He was he he wasn't he wasn't you know he didn't he didn't stand out, but he did what he needed to do, which is what you want from a fourth driver. But Elio Elio was yeah. was unbelievably fantastic, and it's nice to see him back full time in the car this year with with Meyer Shake. Um, 
from what I've heard, he was pretty fast in IndyCar testing. Um, so he might have a f- good season there, but this isn't an IndyCar podcast, so I won't delve any deeper. Um, <laughs> Tom Tom Blomquist, obviously, he I believe he used to be BMW yep. driver, yes sir, in GTE, and now and now with Meyer Shank, I don't think full time is he full time. Um, I don't believe so. Oh, no, no, yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's, he's and Oliver Jarvis full time. Yeah, they. Yeah, it's Ali Jarvis and Tom Blomquist in the number six car full season. So Elio and Simon yeah, are just the have, extra yeah. drivers for the NAEC rounds. Yeah, because they have the IndyCar clash at you know Texas and Sebring, which is dumb, by the way. But it is what it is. Yep. Um, that's unfortunate. How about Chip Ganassi? They were early on the favorites because of their superb driver lineup, and they were they were doing relatively well, no serious issues until I believe right in the middle of the night, where I believe the O one had alternator troubles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they both had issues. Um, o two actually had contact uh, earlier in the day before sunset with the. Uh, I believe it was uh, Mustang sampling number five Cadillac. Um, so they had some damage that didn't that seemed to be cosmetic, but they were stopped uh, for quite a few laps. They were, yeah, I mean for I don't know, like they were about twenty laps down or so at the end of the race, forty or maybe even more. Um, uh, so that they were having some mechanical problems as well. That was late at night through um, as uh, in addition uh, to the O one also being in the garage. So <clears throat> yeah, it was uh, kind of crazy how the, uh, the GM related uh, factory efforts were just uh, really not happy. Um, and you, it, it's weird to say, but you know, it still feels like the Chip Ganassi crew is still kind of coming to terms with how do you, like how you need to day by day or race by race be setting these cars up or having a strategy for these races that is successful because it's just um, they they for sure look like they are the premier Cadillac team out there, mm-hmm. but the thirty one and the five seem to be better and more sly and their strategy and just more uh, you know wily in their you know in their efforts that you know they appear to be the more experienced teams and it's paying off for them so i think we kind of still saw this with cadillac uh, and the chip ganassi team but they did have mechanical problems which i don't know for sure the cause of those but um it still you know bit them all the same where that they really weren't in contention um when the sun rose uh, sunday morning yeah Really, towards the end of the race, it was really, I believe, um, Meyer Shank, uh, Wayne Taylor, and I think the 31. Um, and I don't think the I don't think the five was in there from my memory, but I could be wrong on that. But there's there's at least there's three or four DPI cars definitely in the hunt. Um, it, it was good racing throughout the throughout the race. Um, Yet last year, like you said, of GPI at Daytona, and we'll see GTP next year. I think it was a wonderful way to end the chapter of GPI at the uh, Daytona International Speedway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's 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 great to kind of see Acura um, kind of get the upper hand at the end of this too. Um, and but with BOP being a factor, Cadillac definitely having 
I would say the better car at Daytona, but getting hamstrung a bit by that BOP just because of how good that car is, like specifically at Daytona and how much they were just strangleholding that entire um, that race itself. So um, good to see the disparity at the end of the day on the, uh, you know, when it comes to overall tally uh, in this category. And yeah, I, I, it did its purpose. Um, I think overall people would have wanted to see more OEMs come, but I think for the, the time it was and for, I, I would say the absolute renaissance that the sport is, is receiving you know, over the last decade, it's, 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 it's to be expected that this is, you know, that's a starting footstep. Um, and to get four OEMs to compete for that long and two to survive, all the way to the end like this and still have a competitive uh, field, even though it's only six, um, it was, uh, you know, it's still a testament to that first few steps. And I, I think LMDH and GTP is going to be that huge next step. So we'll see. But um, <clears throat> we'll go to the other pro category uh, at uh, Rolex 24, GTD Pro, um, new category, uh, <clears throat> basically same old cars, um, same, a lot of same teams. Uh, a lot of similar teams that we are familiar with across the pond that have decided to come over. Um, but strictly a pro effort for GT3 machinery. So SRO, um, you know, essentially branded uh, GT3 cars. Um, but as MSA likes to do, they like to rebrand stuff for their own. So they're called GTD. Um, this is the same category uh, that we've seen over the last, um, I don't know, what, uh, 20, uh, no, what, five, six years? Um in IMSA, maybe seven, seven, somewhere on there. Yeah, twenty fourteen, I think. Uh, twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I believe twenty three machinery like actually coming in. Mm-hmm. So twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen was when they actually allowed, um, pretty much GT when they had GT three regulations for GTD. Yep. So pro category. Um, all pro drivers. So this is no, no AMs required here. There's no AM requirement, um, for the driver lineups. Uh, and so we definitely saw a, a pro and competitive as, as all hell, uh, race in that new category. And, um, I think for me that it, not like it was expected. Um, the last lap was nuts. Uh, and we'll get into that, but just the, from the BOP perspective, it, that seemed great. Um, how all the cars were driving in traffic versus by themselves versus in the sunshine versus at night and how cold they were. Um, you saw a lot of different strengths, a lot of different weaknesses. Um, but Porsche seemed to have the overall best car for the conditions. Um, and their driver lineup seemed to just be able to repeat stint after stint, really, really um, top grade lap times. Um, and then we saw that insane last lap battle uh, for the win that uh, ended with um, a huge fan favorite, the number nine, uh, FAF Motorsports Porsche, uh, taking the GT Pro um, win for the first time. Chris, what are your thoughts on this new category and the first 24-hour race that we saw of all pro GT3 machinery? I think it was a home run success because what IMSA did is that they saw the writing on the wall. Um GTE was dying, and the three three full time cars last year. They're like, that's not good show for the fans. So basically, what they did was like, hey, we'll just do GT threes because everyone has one, and we'll just allow an all pro lineup. Easy fix. Um, what's interesting to me is that like, at, for, because obviously the ace 
HBO has announced that they're doing GT3s starting 2024 in terms of at Le Mans. But they ha- I don't think they announced that it was going to be an all-pro category yet. So we might be looking at a future where in terms of all-pro GT racing with prototypes, it might be the only 24 race for that to happen might be Daytona. Which is interesting to think about. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting side note, and that actually, I I, I feel like on the face value, listening to that for the first time, I would say, yeah, that would totally make sense for the ACO to go that route and to only make it a NAM category. Um, they're they're aversion to, um, you know, <clears throat> cost overrun. It seems like for GT, I mean, even though they don't have an answer at all for this, which is frustrating as a fan and just as a general. WC, you know, <laughs> fanboy, I guess, of just the entire sport in general. It's frustrating that they don't have an answer. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do, I do think that this is going to be a unique category in every sense of the uh, of the term because the main structure for the SRO GT3 um, class is always to be a pro am or am. Um, and so this is always going to be a unique thing, but it is interesting to think about Lamar being just a pro-am or am only kind of two classes like that, where it mimics very much everything else that we see out of these GT3 cars, leaving IMSA to really only have the sole pro-only GT3 class, which is which would be nuts to think about. And I think that would also draw in potential new um, OEMs and uh, teams. But speaking of manufacturer diversity, I mean, we're talking about what, eight? Eight nine manufacturers that were in in GTD. Let's see. Had Porsche, obviously, Lexus, Lamborghini, Ferrari, Corvette, BMW. Um, nah, I'm blank on like the all like thing. essentially but, all the major hitters. I think there was an article that said who wasn't what GT3 car wasn't represented or that was like kind of almost mass produced. It was the Bentley, which makes sense. Uh, the Nissan Skyline also makes kind of sense, and then it was like the Audi, which was like the normally produced uh, GT3 or like a normally mass produced GT3 car that wasn't there. That was the only but, one. Yeah, because well, it's unfortunate because. Around the grapevine, I don't think it's around the grapevine anymore. I'm pretty sure it's public knowledge. Um, it's just the Audi Sport North America support for, for teams. It just sucks. That's why I just no didn't see any like GT4s in the Michelin Pilot Challenge Race or GT3 Audis in in, the, in Daytona this or last weekend. Yeah, it would, it, and it's it's odd too, just because um, you know it, it's it, Audi's been in the game for, for quite a while. And, you know, while they don't have just the decades and decades and decades of, of experience of, of how to, to run these programs, like it seemed like before that they, they were up to stuff and they were on the caliber of like a Porsche or a Mercedes. Um, and uh, even Aston Martin, I guess, to a certain extent. And just to see them kind of really just give that all up on the side is, is, is unfortunate to see. And two, it's, I think that's also where people were like, oh, okay, Audi's canning their LMDH after hearing that random rumor, um, you know, a couple months ago. People were all on board with that because it just seems like Audi's just really not interested in, in in like, normal avenues of sports car racing. Or they're, they're just, they're not representing themselves like they used to, which is, it's an odd play for them. So, um, 
Yeah, but otherwise, beyond that, I mean, just us talking about Audi, that was really the only big uh, the big hitter that we usually see that's won major 24-hour races in the GT3 category that wasn't there. So um, really just a an insanely diverse and really, really competitive GTD Pro, and also, I guess, the GTD Pro-Am field. So, um, yeah, uh, we saw attrition, um, and I've called before, like, people were like, oh, why didn't you want to use Aston Martin or pick Aston Martin for the Rock 24? They have bad luck, man. And they, again, had terrible luck. And uh, look, GTD Pro-Am was, uh, we'll talk about that, or just GTD, we'll talk about that later, because, yes, there was an Aston Martin that podiumed. But the GTD Pro entry got involved in a wreck like four hours in and probably <laughs> would have been a couple laps down or something. They might've had more damage, but they probably would have gotten wave rounds and gotten them back on the lead lap. But then they got absolutely smacked after like sitting still for five seconds by an LMP three car. And I'm just like, that is, that is Aston Martin at Daytona's luck. 100% right there. They, they literally get caught in. And I swear to God, they have had wrecks at that, um, coming out of the infield onto turn, NASCAR turn one, they've had wrecks that have ended their, their day like six hours in at least three times at that specific spot. I, I don't get it. And I swear to God, if anybody like is in Aston Martin GT3 machinery or GT machinery that's in a pro category, just don't go to Daytona because that place is just terrible for Aston Martin. Um, but yeah, that was at least one observation I had from some of the attrition. Uh, I don't know if you there were any memorable GT moments for you uh, in the pro category, Chris. Uh, I remember um, before the uh, the sun went down, um, turned one, I believe it was the Sun Energy One car. Um, and then there's two other cars that got involved. But I mean, that was when that first happened, because that took a lot of heavy, I think, I believe that was one of the wrecks, the heart of racing car you were referring to. Yep. That was it. That was um, the one. And it just, because that took out like a lot of heavy hitters, like teams that like, Hey, like if like they could be at the front towards the end of this thing, that, that one struck out to me. And and the fact that, like, after that wreck, the TV direction immediately went to crap, but <laughs> yeah. regardless of that. but Yeah, static cams. And, like, and, I, and yeah, and that's a weird, very short soapbox. It is a very, it is a short uh, soapbox, but it's really short. Like, I, the, the fact that no one can seem to put up a static cam anywhere and just leave it there. Like, if you just invest in maybe, like, $3,000 worth of more equipment, you already have probably cables to half of these cameras that are dynamic cameras that you control in the back in the in the in the communication truck, like just the fact that if you just put a static cam and leave it there, and maybe you have you have the ability to adjust the zoom on it, but it doesn't move; it just sits there, and it doesn't do anything but just capture corner exit or like specific areas where it's hard to get, like where you're gonna potentially miss stuff. Like it just it it blows my mind that you can't just set five more cameras up in certain areas even buy other cameras that are going to be turned off by human use for like 12 hours of the race, just so that they're there to capture some of that stuff. Because yeah, there was a few wrecks that made no sense. There's also an LP three car that, um, uh, decided to, um, conflagrate itself in the middle of the night that we didn't see. Cause there was conveniently a, a banner poster thing that was in the way. And then he had like rooftop Ray that was like nodding when they were like, I think that's a car on fire. And he's like, yep, it is. But I'm like nodding the camera. 
but yeah, it's just again, just real. It's it's it's. It, I'm sure it's way more complicated than I'm making it seem, but like I just feel like all they need is just a couple extra static cameras, and then a lot of these problems of like some of these things would be solved because it's just like. I, then you don't have to worry about TV direction. You're like, all right, put on like static cams like you'd see on like iRacing or something. It, honestly, a lot of race fans would be like, that's fine. I like, I'll figure stuff out from there. So, but yeah, that was definitely a, um, yeah, that that was a bummer to see, especially because they they had so much. It seemed like at the track they had a lot of extra equipment there for the broadcast, um, and that they kind of like the 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 actual broadcasts. Uh, dropped off a cliff kind of at when it got into nighttime um, was unfortunate, but yeah, at the track, it was, we didn't worry about that too much. It was good to have live timing and scoring up and, uh, and occasional streams when we were able to get signal, but yeah, anyway, I don't even know what we're talking about, but <laughs> attrition, <laughs> I think. All right. So we have attrition, um, but then we also have some new, uh, cars for the for the class. So some of these are new, brand new. Some of these are new to the class, and I guess they're kind of still new. Uh, we're talking about the Corvette C8R GT3 spec, GTD spec, whatever. Um, and then the new BMW M4. More like, more like a D2 into GTE. Say what? Oh, is it still GTE? It's more of like a D2 into GTE. Yeah. The, yeah. The actual like GT3 portion doesn't come out to like 2024. I don't think. So it's a D2 and GTE. Okay. Um, and then the BMW M4 GT3. Uh, both of those cars uh, were struggling. Um, I think Corvette obviously being more surprising because it is Corvette. So you always you usually expect them to be up there in front. They looked like they were decent. And they were just kind of running their own race. And both of them really kind of had their own problems. Um, I think number four had contact with an LMP3, I believe. Um, and then had some gremlins come up there and ultimately retired. The number three had um, another problem with the car. I think something broke on it. Um, and so they were basically both really out of the running. Um, out what, like eight hours in or so? Or uh, they were in the garage for a bit, even in the morning too. So, yeah, it was a little bit surprising. I think a lot of fans were reacting to that. Um, but really from what that they were, what we had heard from Graham Goodwin and Marshall Pruitt and just reading articles about what they, you know, and even from them themselves interviews, um, there was a lot of uphill climbing they had to do to get this car ready for competing in this category. A lot of it being just having to get used to a completely different, um, not necessarily geometry, but just like the, uh, the, the tire spec um, and the certain requirements of this category has that are going to be similar to but not the same as GTE um, especially for a car that was not designed to cross-pollinate between both um, it's it's seeming rather difficult at least right now for Corvette and they're definitely going to need a few more races if not a lot of the season to kind of get up to speed with that car but it's Corvette so they're not going to be down for very long the surprising thing for, to me was BMW and how 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 badly needed that car requires more testing um, I don't know, man. We saw tailgates coming down off that car. I, I was like, I think, like, after 15 minutes, I, I think, what was it, 24, had the tailgate. Like, the rear trunk that usually, like, a normal trunk lifts up on one, you know, from the hinges like that. This one was opening up the other way. It was, like, acting like a sail on the back. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen, and, a, the, and the oddest thing I've ever seen fail on a car. 
maybe it was like hitting and leaning up against the the swan wing at the back um but i don't it, it that was so strange <clears throat> and from what i've heard too is that they've had diffuser problems in testing mm-hmm. in some of these races so yeah what are your thoughts on both those programs chris well Cor- corvette was always gonna be hard to bop because of it's the detuned GTE car, so it's hard to get any like data on that. With and try to mix it in with the rest of the GT3s and try to make it a fair, fair race without being you know too OP. The BMWs weren't surprising because um they had problems in the 24 hours you could buy with their cars. Um, they did the 24 hours of Sebring last year, I believe they still had issues, and also like they ran the last round of the GT World Challenge Europe uh, Endurance Cup at Barcelona. They started the race and just didn't do anything after that. So the the, the, the teething issues I still expected that they should be stronger at Sebring because IMSA will have data to go off of from Daytona. And if they really wanted to, they could just take a look at what they did at Sebring in the 24 hours. Yep. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. Yeah. Um, and, and again, yeah, I... I think too it's it's interesting we're as the sport grows and I think the sport is going to continue to grow just from the unprecedented levels of manufacturer interest as well as drivers and team interest that we're seeing from different categories of racing and, and sections of racing um you know we're going to have a lot of fans that are going to be new to kind of the sport of how it works when new cars come in and and, and trying to get these teething issues done some cars like you know to a certain extent like you know legendary Audi R8 were just like you almost you built the car and you didn't need to do too much to it in order to make it run. There was, it, it drove weird to begin with, but then, you know, it was pretty easily ironed out. And that car was a monster for like years and years and years. Other cars, it takes a lot of dialing in. And that, that Mazda, uh, that Mazda DPI especially was really like, it needed BOP. It needed, it needed um, a lot of renditions, a lot of revisions and a lot of more eyeballs for an engineering standpoint. Um, to get that car to start winning a lot of NAC rounds, which it started doing. So um, it just really depends on the approach of, of the category from the Steam stand, uh, standpoint and also just, you know, the timeline f- that they're giving themselves and the, a lot of the expectations they're placing on themselves. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is totally to be expected from both of those programs, BMW Corvette respectively. I mean, this, is, um, th- this isn't easy to do. Um, and especially with BMW, they're 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 taking swings in different directions all the time with these new Evos. Um, whereas you see the new Lambo Evolution Two is just it looks identical. It looks just basically like a Trofeo series uh, Lambo. Um, you know they're, they're not really they're not really breaking any molds at all with that. So um, yeah, so yeah, I. I I look for way more success to come from both in those category, uh, for both those marks. And, um, yeah, maybe not Sebring, um, but I think more towards the mid of the year, um, we should definitely start to see one or both of those start to hit podiums and maybe win, but who knows? Um, lastly for GTD pro, uh, that, uh, finale was insane. Uh, Lawrence Van Thor, um, giving it his all, uh, to try to win the KCMG Porsche um, and not uh, not quite getting there um, in the number nine, coming away with the win, especially with contact in the back stretch. Um, 
crazy, crazy move. I actually was standing on a um, just a platform near my campsite. Um, a neighbor had like a elevated platform in the back of his truck or something. So I just like climbed up there and was watching it. And I knew that they were going to because I saw him come off the back stretch and it's just high enough so you could see just into the bus stop. And so I had like I was I knew that they were coming. I knew something was going to happen, and I I saw it live, just basically coming towards me, um, both those cars. And yeah, that was that was crazy to see live, and then to watch it on the replay of both the international feed and NBC was also really epic to to watch and hear that as well. So um, one of one of the craziest GT uh, finishes to a twenty four hour race I've ever seen. Um, IMSA doesn't disappoint, does it, Chris? It it was amazing, and I don't know if, if you watched the replay. Like, like the last ten minutes, every time they went into the international horseshoe, they're they're bumping each other, they're putting pushing each other out of the way. It was like NASCAR short track racing for a bit there. And what I saw was fair hard racing. I yep. think we need more of that. Yep. I don't, I think because in the because everything was fair. That like they punted each other off the track purple purposely it and and if people complain about that then I don't, I don't think you need to watch sports car racing because that was entertaining that was fair hard racing and in a series owned by NASCAR I think it fits very well um and and if you see pictures of the of the rear end I, I think I don't know if Fav posted them or not but it's been circulating around the internet the back end of that FAF car, you can tell that it that it's been rubbed on. There's some there's some damage there. Yeah, it's knocked but, in. That thing is knocked in. And the best part about it is that we avoided, you know, well, for some people there might have been controversy, but we avoided controversy for the most part because um, the KCMG car, who was in second coming to the last lap in the bus stop, tried to make a daring move. And he came out on the short end of the stick. So guess what? No need for a penalty. No need for, you know, debates on if, it, if it's fair or not. If the move is fair, he tried to do a risky move. He failed to do it, and he paid the price for it. And then Faf won. Yep. And, I mean, even Lawrence himself was, uh, you know, he said it was fair racing and, uh, you know, great win to Faf. You know, no hard feelings at all. And, like he shouldn't, you know, he, he shouldn't at all. I mean, he was he was running, uh, you know, um, Laurent really hard at the number nine, and um, and yeah, I mean, people were like, oh, he deserved to spin out and stuff. It's like, no, I mean, if he would have held on to it, he, you know, they would have been rubbing and flew off the bus stop, you know, not even making the chicane at all, um, to come back on the track. And I mean, who knows how they would end up? It, it would have felt like the Kale Yarbrough or um, um, Donny Allison fight where they, you know, where they were like <laughs> banging for. How long down the backstretch? Like the amount, like if 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 uh, Lawrence was able to hold on to that, the amount of times you would have saw a video of that because it probably would have looked identical. The way that they those both cars were banging each other, like they it, it would have continued way past where it ended because he spun out. So I thought it was great, and yeah, I completely agree with your sentiment. I think they, um, if it was prototypes, it's a different if it's, it's a different story. Um, but just the modern GT racing that we have now. It's not the same that we had uh, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, these cars are are designed to to run identical lap times, and that you know, in a perfect world, they should have no 
you know, and the drivers were, were identical, everything was identical, those cars should have no ability to pass each other because everybody's doing everything identically. So um, this is the modern version of having to make your own race, having to make your own pace. Uh, and that's what Lawrence was doing. And, you know, would he have been able to even be in that position to try to overtake to win on the last lap had he not been doing that? Probably not. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that this was it was an absolutely insane win. Um, and I think the precedent has been set overall for IMSA specifically that we've had these kind of insane GT finishes with door banging hits on the last lap coming to the checkered flag um, over and over and over again. And this is uh, another one of those. And I, I loved it. It was fantastic. So uh, GTD Pro, um, I thought was going to be spectacular and we probably going to have more cars in the lead lap on the last lap fighting for the win. Um, but how it turned out was absolutely thrilling. So I can't wait to see the uh, Sebring and how that comes. Hopefully we'll have a repeat of 2007. Um, so yeah, so let's talk about the uh, AM categories now. Um, GTD, we'll start with that. Um, a huge category to start. Decent amount of attrition for this category, which I, I think we kind of expected. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the race, we saw a lot of top five, top 10 contenders have problems. Um, stuff that they could at least recover a little bit from and others really not be able to, um, which elevated a lot of cars that I did not expect to be in uh, even podium positions at GTD. Um, but we had uh, another Porsche win, Wright Motorsports, in the uh, number 16 uh, winning uh, for GTD, uh, followed by Magnus Racing. That was shocking to me, um, but I love that team. Um, mm-hmm. With a brand new Aston Martin Vantage that they were just getting used to uh, coming in second. And then in P3 with a, in the Mercedes, the Gilbert uh, Korthoff uh, Motorsports, that is an Ooh. interesting entry. <laughs> and we'll talk about that a little that, bit. But yeah, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on uh, a Porsche taking both GTD Pro and GTD uh, 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 category wins? It's good marketing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I picked this one to win. I think obviously Porsche had it. I believe two car, two three cars in GTD Pro, and then um, obviously Wright Motorsports really strong contender in GTD. I, I I don't think it was you know any conspiracy. I think it was just really good teams winning the race. Um, but obviously Wright Motorsports had some help. I mean, imagine if the Sun Energy One car didn't crash or yes, you know, yep, yep, or maybe the Crucial Motors because the Crucial Motorsports. Uh, McLaren, that was the one that caught me off guard. I thought that car was going to be way worse than what it actually was, because um, it was, I believe, it was leading at some points during yep. the race, and yes, then I believe, um, either before nightfall or right like after it turned, uh, after the after the sun went down, it stopped at around uh, coming into NASCAR one. Yep. Um, so I, if imagine if those cars didn't break down, maybe we wouldn't have saw right horsepower take the win but it's just it's just you know it is what it is yeah it is yeah <clears throat> and I, i'm the same way too i mean um i i thought bop was great and like i and like i had said earlier just the amount of cars that were leading their class respectively um it, almost just each individual entry that was leading its class individually um was pretty stunning to me so that to me that means that it's good bop um it means that each team is even if they don't have the overall pace they've got strategy um uh, options for them to take advantage to put themselves in position to lead the race. 
um, and capitalize on other people's issues, which we did see a lot of, in, especially in GTD. But um, yeah, it was great to see Wright Motorsports win. They deserve it. Uh, they're a really, really, really good Porsche team. And I also, pre- I think I picked them as my pre-race favorite. So, aha. Um, and yeah, and again, Magnus Racing is a crowd favorite. Um, and so we all applaud and love Magnus Racing. Ha ha, yay, yay. Uh, but yeah, that uh, number 32 entry coming in uh, <laughs> in in third spot. Chris, you want to give us a little quick brief uh, reason why that might be a little bit, uh, draw some ire of sports car fans? So, Gilbert Porthop entry, they had the qualifying race, as we all know. Um, Guy Cosmo was one of the drivers. So basically, he was like, what, in like fourth or something? And obviously, and a couple of guys pitted in front of him. So when he crossed the you know the start finish, he obviously gained those places. But obviously, it wasn't you know tr- you know truthfully his position. It was just you know b- before he made his pit stop. Mm-hmm. He goes into his pit stop, or or made, or he, actually his his co driver made went into the pit stop. Guy Cosmo gets in the car. And he comes back out where he was, you know, where they were before, you know, the pit stop, like, you know, fourth or something. Then Guy Cosmo, you know, because GTD still has a pretty good uh, plethora of pros in it. And he only lost two positions. It, he, he finished like sixth or seventh, when a, which in a field of like 22 cars, that's not too shabby. But. I guess the team owner wasn't happy of that. He was like, "What the what the hell? You we we had the car in the lead, and you lost us all these spots." When in reality, he doesn't when he doesn't know what pit stops work, or how pit stops work. And also, the guy's a huge Mercedes fan, hence like the Mercedes F one esque like silver and teal on it. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't happy of those results, so he just let him go. He's like, "You." Lost this, you lost this the race, and then he hired James Davison. So yeah, a lot of people got angry on that guy Cosmo um, in a separate Discord server. Um, I think in a sim racing Discord, he explained it all. You know, just explaining what what happened. He wasn't being malicious about it. Um, it, it, it. It's just insane that a team owner would would not know how racing works. It's like. Yeah, like if the people pit in front of you, and you still need to pit, you make that pit stop. Obviously, you're, you're not you're you're gonna lose those places back. It's just insane. Yep. But luckily, um, in in spite of this, um, Guy Cosmo, I believe Friday or Saturday morning, uh, he's gonna announce, I believe his own race team. Uh, I think it's gonna be called Cosmo Sport. So we'll see how that goes in the future. So you what events he'll be competing in. So hopefully it all works out for him. And hopefully, you know, if he's in the same race as those Gilbert Korthoff guys, he wins against them. Yeah, right. <clears throat> it, it, it was crazy how that was panning out through the race too, that, I, you know, I was talking to um, some people around the paddock and, um, and yeah, the amount of people that were, you know, that had pretty, pretty hardcore opinions about the, the matter and how much they were not pulling for the 32 to win was pretty, pretty startling and then uh yeah f- to see it the last like hour um them really get elevated into a podium position through other people having pr- you know problems right at the end and gtd was uh you know 
uh, added to another storyline to it. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, it, it was a very unique uh, thing. And even with his explanation, like, it, do, it does sound like there was just a communication breakdown in the heat of the moment with that. And and from what I've been able, you know, from what it sounds like, too, that, that, that he was, like, fired on the spot and kind of thing. And this wasn't like a we're going to, like, mull about and, th- and think about it. Like, he was boom, you're out and you're gone kind of thing, like at the track. Like, so, you know, that's not really, I mean, even if there was, you know, due course for that to happen and and guy really deserved that kind of treatment, it's just not professional. And I I think that's what a lot of the, uh, a lot of the fans teams um, and, you know, people are inside the paddock too. we're, We're talking about just from a professional standpoint, that that's not how you do that. And that would, that would not, you know, that would send a bad message to the rest of the paddock on, on team relations and how you go about your business. So I think, I think a lot of it is stemming from that too, and, and well-deserved too, or uh, rightfully so. Um, whoever, whoever's editing, editing this can censor it if they need to be, but Guy Cosmo is not a dick either. He's a very nice guy. Mm-hmm. Because I talked to him at Road America before. I was the annoying fan that asked him about his Asian Lamas series plans. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I don't have anything right now, but, you know, I'm hoping we'll have, like, he was he was nice about it. He might, he might have put, like, a PR face or whatever on, but he was nice about it. And I, ne- I mean, you never hear any stories about Guy Cosmo like, being mean or being, um, just, just, you know, being a bad guy in general. So, yeah. it, it, hopefully his new team works out and uh, I don't know. I like Guy Cosmo. I have a lot more like James Davison. <laughs> yeah, I'll say that. Um, and yeah, and I mean, you, you were you, you said this before too, but McLaren's pace was was pretty shocking to me too. I, I wasn't really expecting that. I, I think I was impressed by their roar performance, um, and to see them do that well. Then I I thought boded well, and because obviously we really didn't see a lot of BOP adjustment, I thought that that it wasn't like other people were holding their own hand here, that they everybody else was trying. And it clearly was evident in the at least the first couple of stints that the McLaren chassis was very strong, um, or at least their BOP that they have right now for the class. Um, both, you know, on both sides of the coin was really good. So um, just running into problems throughout the race, uh, you know, kept them off the podium. But I, they, I would have said early on they were the clear favorites uh, to win that category if it would have gone green the entire way. Because the pace in that McLaren was just uh, the it seemed the top end speed was really good, and they were able to hold on to uh, the GT field in the infield, and they were just able to to pass cars freely um, in the NASCAR sections of the track. Speaking of uh, lap traffic, let's talk about LMP twos and LMP threes. Yeah, they were <laughs> they were quite an interesting bunch throughout the race, weren't they? Uh, yeah, interesting is 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 saying something. Um, there's a video on YouTube, I think, right now, Rolex Twenty Four. Uh, 2022 uh, crashes or all incidents or something like that. It goes through Rolex, uh, the Roar, and then goes through. But it's all it's all IMSA top category. It's none of the extra feeder series. Um, but during the race, I, oh, over half. It's like 22 minutes long. I would say like 14 minutes, maybe maybe 12 minutes are dedicated solely to LMP3 involvement in any spins, crashes, contact, whatever. It's just LMP3s throwing themselves at other cars or at the barriers or into grass. And, uh, 
Yeah, I had said it earlier uh, earlier tonight, but it was it reminded me a lot of the LNPC days. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, because I believe this year LNP three, uh, unlike unlike the twenty twenty one edition, actually did cause a safety car. So that was the first. Mm-hmm. Yep. First time. Yeah, that that was the whole thing we were we were cringing at last year, and they didn't throw a single safety car. This year they were. They're more comfortable with their machinery, so I feel like we saw a lot more uh, crazy maneuvers. But and again, cold cold will play a huge factor, um, and because both LP two and LP three feature so much raw am talent, uh, we'll say that in good or bad, um, that we're going to see some people making mistakes uh, or just uh, getting a little bit too overzealous. And uh, yeah, we we saw that with some. Um, some relatively good competition. Uh, what was it? High class racing, pretty much removing themselves from the competition. Um, you know, pretty few, much. Yeah. And that was unfortunate. One of those situations where, you know, it's almost in hindsight, you're almost better to just completely miss the entire course and then just do a U-turn, you know, not even try to make the corner, bait the corner at all. Um, you know, hidden, hidden barrier and basically puncturing both tires, ripped the entire rear end off the car, just ended their night. And they were doing very well too. Um, and well, because of the crash and after turn one, I believe they got back on track, but then they stopped again towards um, not the international horseshoe, but the other horseshoe, and they didn't really focus on that too much. But it did stop there, and that pretty much ended the race for them right then and there. Yep. Um, I I had PR one Matheson uh, winning, and I I think. Them, I think they really thought that they had, they had that class beat in terms of their overall pace. The team seemed like they were really confident. So, not to say that it's disappointing for them to finish fourth, but I would say that they're definitely disappointed in in their result. Um, one team in the opposite camp, I'd say, uh, racing team Netherlands, uh, Netherlands, and um, they had a really rough uh, year last year in this category. Um, but this year was polar opposite of that. They had a couple issues here and there, but it wasn't any any contacts with walls or anything like that. And they had an, they were in the lead um, pretty late into the race uh, until Dragon Speed um, number eighty one taking the overall um, the LMP two victory, I should say, uh, for the class. Um, Tower Motorsport coming in third, um, the number eight uh, LMP two as well. Um, yeah. So Chris, what do you what are your thoughts on LMP two? It's definitely stronger. I mean, I think we had more European teams here this year instead of last year. Um, and unlike last year, uh, we have some European teams um, now. Keep now with a, with a keep in mind that this was because of the oversaturation in WEC. If w, if the L, if the LMP two scene in WEC wasn't as saturated, this might not even have, not, might not even have happened. Mm-hmm. But we have um, racing team Netherlands racing the Michelin Endurance Cup, and then you have high class racing doing you know the full IMSA season. So we're seeing European teams doing the full season, or at least doing the Enduros. Which the only person doing that before was United. Yep. In terms of you know teams racing over in Europe, so that's that's a stark contrast compared to last year. And I I just think that's uh, hopefully uh, more it to brings come. more. Teams LMP two, um, because I 
who the hell knows what the grid's going to look like for GTP next year at Daytona. Yep. So it'd be nice to have you know all these LMP2 teams as a fallback, just in case you know we don't get you know the the amount of entries that you know we're all kind of hoping we get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of that too, uh, you know United Autosports, I I I didn't expect them to be that kind of not near the front. They really got hamstrung a little bit by um, some strategy, but just also with some of the driver lineup. Um, they just, they mm-hmm. really couldn't get behind anything. And again, it's, I think too, we're just so used to in the past few years, seeing United Autosport in any series they're in, just being at the front or having something to do with being at the front. Um, so yeah, to, to see them really just not be in it at all. And to really be even some of these, um, you know, local yellows quite a few times here. Um, yeah, it was very, uh, United, unlike United Autosports, but, um, yeah, I mean that's the kind of this category, and and you know that's the gamble that you take with uh, your am your pro am lineups that you're going to try to bring. So, um, yeah, I I thought it was a great um, you know addition, and like you said, it the the category is growing, and we can only hope that it keeps growing. Um, you know, once we get LMDH and we get the new LMP2s um, that we keep seeing um, team interest as long as, you know, as well as manufacturer interest, hopefully we start to see more than just Oreca's and that also becomes a draw for this category as well. So LMP three, um, we'll get to this quick and then we'll do a little wrap up. Um, yeah, uh, this was something, um, it was, it was was a race. Yeah. It was a race that happened. Yep, it was it was a race. Uh, Andretti Autosport not winning. Um, that is probably the only storyline that I can talk about outside of just how poor at times some of the driver talent was. Um, yeah, that looked like outside of any any um, I'd say class that was like uh, I don't know waiting potentially going to win um, their category that. Uh, that team in, in LMP3, Andretti Autosport, the number 36 car, was probably the best one that I thought in the LMP3 category to win their class. So um, they ran into some problems, I think, in the morning. Um, they were winning and uh, ended up being, uh, what, I think, uh, four laps down off the lead. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing in terms of, I think that was my pick to win. Um, but Riley Autosport's number 74 taking the win. Um, what a stark difference from their LMP3 efforts of three years ago with their own machinery um with uh sean creech motorsport uh, coming in second number 33 and uh 54 car motorsport with the number uh, uh finishing in third position in that podium um yeah this was uh this was interesting a lot of spins lots of spins in this class yeah uh, obviously cold tire temps and how cold the track was helped with that a little bit um, obviously, being like an amateur, mainly amateur class. I mean, the only uh, we we have prototype challenge that uses LMP3s, but a lot of people would probably rather race in the big show than race in some support event. Um, so you have these rich amateurs who's who's willing to pay a little bit extra to be a part, you know, of the main event. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't go over too well. Um, what did what didn't surprise me? I didn't. I didn't. Uh, the seventy four winning wasn't a surprise. I believe they were a powerhouse last year in LP3, that uh, Riley Motorsports team. Uh, and it's not like Michael Cooper and Felipe Fraga are bad drivers. They're nope. really good drivers. Um, I mean, the only one that people might not know about would be Ifeon Scar Robinson, but he's a multiple-time Trans Am champion. 
And then you have Kay Van Berlow, who's kind of new, raced a lot of Porsche Cup North America. So, I mean, it's not like those drivers are maybe apart from Gar Robinson, but he has still has championships to his name, even though he might be one of the rich, the rich Ams. So I mm-hmm. think uh, many people overlook that car because they looked at the bigger names and some like like Andretti. But I, it didn't surprise me at all to see that car on top of the podium. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I, I think now that you mentioned the, some of the driver lines, just looking at that too. Yeah, they definitely were, you know, they would they would have been my other pick. I think I picked the 54, um, actually, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. But um, yeah, actually, now remembering the pre-race, we were given the nod a little bit to the 74 as well. So I I would say a good good showing for a few of those. The stark difference between the head of the field and the back and the bottom of the field for Humphrey Free was pretty uh, was a lot. Um, and then we'll do a wrap up, I guess, and because I'll mention this. We've, we I, I forgot to mention LMP2, especially Dragon Speed Entry. They won. Um, and they probably won a lot with the help of Pato Award and um, and uh, Colton Herta. Uh, basically, two of the IndyCar drivers that were in contention to win the uh, the, the the chip for IndyCar last year, um, and they seem to really, really, really enjoy their time at uh, um, especially racing for the LMP2. Interesting because it is LMP2 and not for that pro category, but. Um, I think that was, uh, that's only going to help the sport. Um, it's much, much needed enthusiasm, um, from those drivers and from, uh, you know, that open wheel part of the field, um, that is going to help grow the sport a bit. And, uh, it was, it was great to, to get their reactions, a lot of interviews with them involving their win, um, and just to see their enthusiasm for it and with the, their amateur drivers too, in that lineup, um, it was refreshing to see. So I definitely really enjoyed that, but, uh. Yeah, any uh, any thoughts that we didn't really cover so far, Chris? Um, nothing that's really popping in mind right now. I mean, it was de- it was definitely one of the better Rolex twenty fours from memory. Um, I think we can all agree to that. Um, obviously, I think twenty twenty one last year it was decent, not as memorable. And then twenty twenty, you know, the longest you know green flag run i think post merger of american sports cars for the rolex 24 that happened and it wasn't it was it wasn't like the most uh exciting race i'm gonna put and, and now i was there for that one um so yeah i i think we covered it pretty well yeah i i have a lot to look forward to for next year um yeah and the send-off for dpi like we talked about too um starting from 2017 this being last year for that um we'll have new machinery then uh, I believe we'll also have new LMP2 machinery, if I'm not mistaken, unless they decide to continue doing LMP2 next year, which I, I might have missed that that announcement that they're doing that. Um, but yeah, uh, this is it, it's a great race, and even if we could replicate the same entries in all the same categories next year, I think it would be it would be just as great. Um, but we're gonna get even, you know, we're gonna get crazy upgrades next year. So. Lot to look forward to, um, not to mention just to to rewatch some of this. And again, I I, I would I would say um, the probably the hour long review um, or the extended edition for this probably on YouTube about thirty minutes, w- well worth a watch if you haven't seen the race. So, but you're probably not listening uh, almost an hour, you know, hour and a half into this thing and not having watched the race. But 
it's it's well worth a rewatch for the extended uh, you know just the extended review on it. A um, lot of lot of cool interesting things that happened during it. Uh, a lot of attrition. Yeah, we didn't talk either about the LMP3 car that burned to the ground, but that also happened throughout the night. Um, and yeah, if if it's something that you haven't watched before, feel free to watch it uh, next year. Um, and if it's something that you haven't attended, absolutely try to attend it once. Um, it was unbelievably incredible. Um, Chris can attest to that, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. He'll be back at some point, I'm sure, in the in the future. But uh, yeah. Um, the pit access was great. I got to meet Graham Goodwin, which was a absolute treat. Uh, he was yeah. a legend. How, how was that? Uh, it was, it was great. It was great. We got to walk around, talk to, uh, um, you know, as we were walking around, we were just like Ram drivers and, and team members were like kind of walking up to him and talking to him. So I just got to listen in and stuff. So he, um, Scott Andrews talked about the whole, um, um, the whole, uh, guy Cosmo, um, kerfuffle, uh, because he was basically there, like <laughs> right next to everything, and uh, and kind of listening to his insight on what was on what was going on and what was happening and and whatnot. Um, it was just it was really cool. Like I, I think if I could just literally walk around next to him and just I don't know be a security guard or something, but and just talk to him all the while, like <laughs> I would enjoy doing that for the entire race weekend. But he's just he's got so much energy and. Um, so much passion for the sport and, um, yeah, it was just, it was very gracious of him to give me, uh, like it was like 45 minutes of his time. We were just walking around the, uh, garage, uh, Sunday morning, um, with about like three or four hours to go with the race, uh, just kind of walking and talking about just everything. So, um, yeah, just, it's awesome. If you can ever get a, in touch with him to meet up with him, I strongly encourage to do so, especially just one-on-one he's, he will give you his time and effort, um, and uh, he's he's an awesome character, so uh, I look forward to meeting him hopefully at Sebring again. And uh, but yeah, uh, he's awesome. Um, it was great great to meet him. So maybe, hopefully you can meet we'll him soon to, too, Chris. Maybe because I want to do Daytona next year instead of Sebring because I probably won't be able to have fun to Lamar twenty twenty three. But I want to go up to a twenty four race with you know the hypercars. So Daytona, I'll probably be you know. More inclined to go to maybe maybe uh we'll we'll sneak Graham Goodwin in for an hour of his time for a little podcast recording on like let's say a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how does that sound? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> we can we can arrange something like that. Yeah, uh, don't forget too that we got the Creventic uh, that will be at uh, Sebring in November this year. Um, so who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, with the amount of potential GT3 interest in there, he might be enticed to come uh, out to that one as well. So that could be a twenty four hour race that you. Uh, you can see him at, but granted, we're all in it for the, uh, the LMDH's uh, GTP category. So yeah, it would be great. I would love to have a little quick chat with him. Um, I, knowing me, I'm I'm uh, I'm in the IT profession, so I'm sure I could produce an entire studio's worth of equipment to pull off a decent recording <laughs> of it at the campsite if we wanted to. But uh, yeah, that would be that would be a great little addition to uh, next year's uh, Rolex Twenty Four um, content here at the channel. So. But yeah, Chris, I think uh, I think that's all we could talk about with uh, the Rolex 24 here. Um, we got Asia Lamont series coming up. I'm going to talk about it a little bit. I was kind of going to put it off to do it later, but honestly, I don't know if we have a ton of like content in order to just like because that would just be really short. It would be a really short podcast. Yep. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of pseudo talk about this with some level of non intelligence at all, and uh, 
I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you are down to correct me on things or to try to to try to fail along with me. But we're going to try this. So, <clears throat> um, Age of the Moth series <laughs> uh, recently announced that it was sold to the SRO series. I believe is that correct, Chris? Um, or that it's uh, no, there, there's a part. There's a partnership. Partnership. Sorry, uh, not not sold. Partnership. Um, like I 2020 either this. I don't know if it starts this year or next year. Or maybe 2024, who the hell knows? I think it's 2024. But, um, I think is what said, I read. Basically, the champion of the uh, GT car, uh, of the GT class of Asian Le Mans, and the champion of GT World Challenge Asia. Now, I don't know if that's going to be an overall like combined championship. Like You have to run both, or if it's going to be like separate. Mm-hmm. But uh, you get a Le Mans invite from that. So that's going to be interesting, because obviously we've seen some teams from... Uh, who raced in GT World Challenge Asia, compete at Le Mans, absolute racing, uh, car guy, you know, for some examples. So it's not like, you know, they're quite, you know, alien to the fact that, you know, Asian teams at Le Mans, that we, we, we've, seen, we've seen some come through the ranks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a that's a great kind of wrinkle to, for them to try to, to pull, especially from the SRO series. Um, it's a tool that we've seen used, uh, you know, um, by the ACO to really draw more entries in these regional series to pretty great effect. I mean, it seems like it's worked pretty well at both ELMS and Asian Moss series. Um, and to see them kind of maybe reduce a little bit in Asian Moss series, but also branch out in the, in the SRO series is really interesting. And I think is a winning move. I think it'll do well. You'll see car counts rise just solely from that respect alone. And starting like either next year, twenty twenty four, the champion of uh of the GT World Challenge Europe, and I'm I'm not sure if it's overall or just like endurance, but they got a Le Mans invite too. So we're we're gonna live in a timeline where GT World Challenge Europe will grant a Le Mans. Invite. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, right. And, and, and that just that statement is is so like for years, all like probably over a decade, we I've just been so groomed and like. That is an incorrect statement, sir. Like, that is not possible. And here we are. We're at the cusp of, you know, SRO series and ACO series interacting with each other. And for Le Mans invites, let alone, you know, just cross-pollination between, you know, entries and that kind of thing. So, I, again, I, it's, it's, pro- it's not the way that people like it. And, you know, I'm sure everybody would want it done a certain way. And that the fact that we, ha- you know, we're still in this... ACO slash SRO type of cars that are intermingling with each other is a little bit confusing, but what these organizations are doing, at least from the outside looking in, um, we're seeing population growth when it comes to teams, um, uh, interested parties, uh, advertisers, marketing drivers. And, um, and I think part of that is also just how you're pitching some of these reward systems. And it's not just winning championships and collecting purses, but, qualifying for these legendary races that you can enter. Um, that is also what's drawing a, a lot more interest to the sport as of late. So um, we have four races for this season, um, which is pretty much standard operating procedure. Uh, and this is also following COVID standard operating procedure as of the last like two seasons, which is we're fitting this all in in two weeks and we're all doing it in the Middle East. So we've got race one and two going to be held at Dubai. Um, and then, uh, that's going to be, uh, the Friday, February 11th and Saturday, February 12th. And then race three, oh, four. It's, uh, oh. uh, Saturday and Sunday now. Oh, Saturday, Sunday. Because, uh, because UAE just now 
adopted the Saturday Sunday uh, weekend for you know the, to adopt with the Western world you know keep up with you know other you know markets. Wow, because okay. obviously before UAE, um, um, not sure how to phrase it, mu- Muslim majority country or or was whatever, mm-hmm. but a lot of expats live there and kind of want. I guess they want to appease to them and follow the rest of the world to make it easier for trading, you know, and stuff. Well, it's also so, a vacation hotspot too. They had a, mm-hmm, yeah, they had like they used to have they had the Friday Saturday weekend because in obviously the the toy fires of Dubai would start the Friday and end on Saturday to be respectful of the local respectful of local rules. And, and way and, and on ways they do things, mm-hmm. but now since government was like, "Hey, we're moving Saturday Sunday," and I believe they're. I think I think they're forcing, and I think they're having a half date on Friday as well because obviously Friday I believe is the holy day for Islam, so they they have a half day on Friday so they can go to the mosque and do the prayers and stuff like that, so they can still you know. Um. Be respect, obviously, be respectful to the people that are actually living in the country, not just expats. Um, but yeah, now it's Saturday and Sunday. Um, we already seen race weekends in Dubai or UAE racing Saturday and Sunday with Formula Four UAE and Formula Regional Asia, which those should be supports to the Asian Le Mans series. So at least you'll, it, it's a lot of racing for one weekend because there's like four eight, Formula Four UAE races three formula asia races then obviously you have the eight hours combined racing of the weekend for asian lamas series so it's a decent weekend of racing yeah that's a that, yeah that's a lot of motorsport to fit in there um and yeah it's all fitting in with like less basically less than two weeks um with then yeah. going to yas marina um the 19th and 20th uh saturday sunday uh in february so they're there again it's it's just they would be going you know this is a um, this is a COVID related schedule. Essentially, we would not be going, um, you know, I think there might be one race here potentially, but everything else would not be here. It'd be in Australia, um, you know, in potentially China, Japan, um, you know, Malaysia potentially. So this is definitely still being affected by COVID. Um, and it's unfortunate that we still can't seem to get to those tracks, but I mean, that is what it is. And, uh, but yeah, so take a look at the entry list. Um, <clears throat> at least the provisional one, because I don't know if we have an updated one other than that, which is, this is a late 2021 entry list. Four entries I can it's see. Been updated. Yeah, okay, okay. Seven cars on the entry list now. Okay, gotcha. So it's dropped a little bit, a couple cars. Do we still have four in LMP2? Correct. Okay. So we've got three Pro-Am entries, uh, sorry, Am entries, and then a Pro-Am, a single Pro-Am entry by Nielsen Racing. Um, and then Bratislava, um, ARC Bratislava coming in with a Ligier 2, number 44. Yep. What is Devil Never Die, man? And that four thing cars will... for the full season. Absolutely. Um, and, obvi- and it just announced, I believe, United Auto Sports is doing the uh, Yas Marina rounds, actually. So we'll have, we'll have five LMP2s for the final two rounds, make, bumping it up to 38. Awesome. Which is still a very impressive entry list. Yeah, that um, think, that GT entry is remember, unbelievable. And just take a little time machine back to like what 2015, mm-hmm. 2014 when the series first started. 
you know, they had like three, four, four hour races and uh, they could barely squeeze out 10 cars on the grid. It was, it was, it, it, and they only had like half hour, hour, there's no way to watch it live. It was only highlight shows. And then like a couple of years later, the, I remember when they streamed it for the first time, it was, it I guess I couldn't believe it. It was like the four hours of Shuhai and it, it was actually a legit broadcast. Like they had cameras run track. I, I don't know if they have pit reporter. I think they did. And it was, it looked like a competent broadcast. And obviously because it was a Chinese TV company, I think producing the race and everywhere else you went, it was mainly static cameras. Because it wasn't just one production company doing the entire season, I think it was like that for a year or two, and then and then they ste- and then they finally stepped up. It's like okay, we're doing live streaming, we're doing a full broadcast, and they brought in Grant Goodwin, which is the best one of the best things they did. And then this year, in terms of coverage, we're gonna have uh, Nadia Nash be like the pit reporter. She was always been really with the series. She wasn't last year. The COVID protocols, but I believe she's in there this year. And then you're gonna have Oliver Gavin and Graham Goodwin as commentary. It, it, Excellent. It it reminds me of of the two old guys in, in the Muppets. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's Walsdorf and, and what's his face guys. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 Obviously, they're going to do a good job calling the race, but I expect a little bickering back and forth. It's going to be hilarious. And as proved last year, those two have great chemistry in the booth. Yeah. Statler and Waldorf. That's it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I I love the commentary crew. Uh, Ali, Ali Gavin is a unique personality. Um, you kind of want him to do maybe a little bit different things here or there, but honestly he's unique enough and, and an interesting character behind the booth. That I love him, especially paired with Graham Goodwin. They're a great, uh, great uh, commentary crew. So um, I think for me, um, the, the things to watch for Asian Las Vegas, I don't want to go through the whole entry list. We'll just kind of go, we'll, we'll pick and choose if we really want to talk about anything, but obviously LMP twos, that's always an interesting um, um, site for that. Uh, LMP three, Conrad Motorsport coming back with their Janetta. Um, that thing never shows up anywhere other than this series, apparently. So um, that's that'll be fun to at least watch that try to compete um, mm-hmm. with the Duquesnes and Ligiers all around it. Um, and then that crazy, crazy huge GT field. I mean, what? There's almost like 20 cars, if not more, um, in that category. Um, with, you got Garage 59. And there's a subclass, too. Yep, and subclass with the, uh, with the AM category. Um but yeah, I mean, we've got we've got a lot of uh, VLN uh, affiliated teams here. We've got a lot of new chassis. Uh, Walking Horse pretty much doing their shakedown of their of their BMW, the uh, the new M4 um, that they'll be kind of working that with uh, Herbeth Motorsport with the nine uh, nine eleven Castle Racing and their Ferraris. So um, a really really good quality GT field. Very good entry. So I want to make a point on the G drive entry because it's one of the most notable stories in it. Um, so basically, a couple months ago, I was really bored out of my mind. So I had there's this app called Portable TV that I found in my Roku. It broadcasted some KHL games, which is the Continental Hockey League. Basically, 
Russia's version of the NHL. Mm-hmm. I started watching a game, and they're like, "Oh, we're, we're going into like they're they're playing in Dubai," which immediately catch my attention. I was like, "Oh, okay, they're doing like an international series or whatever, and they're playing in Dubai." Then I noticed on the corner of the rink, on a platform, was a prototype with a, a G drive livery on it. I was like, "What's that?" So I screen capped it, posted it in the R slash WC Discord. I was like, hey guys, look what I found. And they're like, what what the hell is that? And some and people, you know, were like trying to figure it out. They, you know, they've got closer images. It's like, it looks like an LP3, but it might just be a show car, you know, promote promote G Drive, you know. A couple <laughs> days later. Yeah. LMP3 entry for the Asian Lamas series. And guess where the Asian Lamas series is mainly gonna be? The UAE. <laughs> we broke the story before uh, the news outlets broke it. Technically, <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, man, guess to show you what uh, social media can do in this uh, new technological age, man. You just you can infer and piece together some stories before it breaks. That's how it works, man. Yeah, I'm just I, I'm I'm. Yeah, I'm just I'm really excited about it, man. This is it's it's it, that's going to be an entire like series to watch just for the gt category itself um that is that is that's more impressive than even some of the imsa entries uh that we've seen um for the gtd category to a certain extent to a certain extent um there's definitely some am like entries in this list don't get me wrong but there's some really solid entries uh, as well then for the dates just in case some people might be listening to this a little bit later uh, the season starts February 12th, and the season will end on the 20th of February. So it's, you know, two two weekends of your life of, of, of just Asian Lamas. And actually, the first race is actually on my birthday, February 12th. Yeah, yeah. And uh, happy happy early birthday to you as well. I'm sure this podcast will come up right around then. So um, happy birthday yeah, to I'll you, my friend. I'll be here to watch the February 12th race, the first one. I'm not sure if I'll be able to make the... 13th one due to uh, hangover reasons. <laughs> but, um, I was totally understand. Um, it, it should be a very good season. I know last year we had a very good championship fight towards the last round of the season. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens and hopefully we have a really good championship. I think taking a look at the uh, Lamont invites, I'm looking at Wikipedia. My might not, might not be the most trustworthy source. Um, basically first in the LP3 Gets a Lamont invite, and then the yeah, first in LP two and GT get a Lamont invite, and then I believe second through fourth in GT get a Lamont invite. But I don't know if that changed. I thought it changed. The, the rules change on that by some bit, but I can't remember. So, but 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 basically, if you win the championship, you get a Lamont invite, and that's the reason why a lobby is. European teams are here because it's probably easier to get a Lamont invite through the Asian Lamont series than through the ELMS, which is a very highly contested championship and cheaper to run too if you're just a GT3 team. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so that that's going to be um, you know especially for all the categories, we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, a lot of close battles, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if just on entries that we're going to see some some coming together on the track. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see a decent accident or two coming from this. Um, it's going to be crowded on these tracks. So 
but yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, that's going to be intense two weeks of racing. Um, and again, when this comes out, probably within hours, we'll we'll start the season for the Asian Mall Series. So um, definitely encourage you guys to watch it. It's been getting better and better every year. Um, it's like I said, unfortunate that's only at two tracks um, in the span of two weeks. But um, you know, in the future, it'll go back to what it used to be, and uh, especially going to different tracks, different venues. And I think. Um, that will build even more legitimacy to this uh, to this series, but it's it's doing it on its own uh, with its own merit, um, doing a good job with it with quality entries and um, and yeah, um, and a good strategy to make it through uh, COVID. So uh, yeah, so that's kind of going to wrap it up for this uh, episode of uh, Endurance Chat. Um, yeah, it was great uh, great to talk with you, Chris, uh, especially to talk about Rolex Twenty Four um, and the Age of the Lost Series season coming up here. Uh, hope. To see you next year to one of these events. I'm sorry you can't make the Sebring. Would have loved to see you, but uh, yeah, man. Uh, any any extra thoughts on the last uh, last couple of weeks of motorsport coming up here and that we just saw from you, Chris? Good. I think that pretty much wraps it up. We saw very good racing and lots more good racing to come. Yeah, uh, likewise, um, and definitely look forward to seeing more GTD Pro action and uh, more announcements for GTP and LMDH. Um, start seeing more shakedowns from those to uh, to come uh, throughout this now. What is the current new IMSA 2022 season? So, um, but have a Chris and uh, Flood who could not make it today. Mike, sorry about that. But uh, uh, my name's Austin uh, Cookie Monster FL, uh, and uh, have a great day, guys. Peace out. Gazoo.